To win the night, Natalie Hunter. What's a southern accent? What's... <laughs> Not that. <laughs> I know that you're. Okay, look. You have to pick one. You can't do Robert Mitchum <laughs> and the preacher. I don't know why, but My you can't. My name's Hair of Hell. <laughs> no, it's not right, is it? <laughs> I can I can feel myself wanting to do this and <laughs> hearing what it's going to come out as, and I no, give it withdraw. a try. Draw. Give it a try. Just, oh, I just have this fucking prospector in my head. I just, it's not, uh, it's not gonna work. I love it. Hello and welcome back to Garbage Film. This is the podcast where we link trashy movies and arty films because we are here to say they're not too different and you can have just as much fun with both. Uh, and to prove it, we'll take this week's more arty movie and pair it with something that's relatively trashy. I'm one of your hosts, Nick. With me as always is Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, she's, Nick. She's currently dancing. Doing a little dance. <laughs> because it's podcast time. And this week we are doing a very personal favorite movie of mine. Mm. Um, so judge me accordingly, uh, based on how you feel about it. Uh, but we're doing, uh, this week's movie is The Night of the Hunter from 1955. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, for inwardly they are ravening wolves. Sometimes I wonder if you really understand. Not that you mind the killings. Your book is full of killings. There are things you do hate, Lord. Perfume-smelling things. Lacy things. Things with curly hair. Nodding solemnly. So, <laughs> like usual, go through the, the plot, and then we'll talk about our feelings at the end, but I just wanted to get it up out up top that I like it because it's going to sound like I like it as I describe it. <laughs> I think you'll be able to pick on that. Pick pick on it? <laughs> pick on it. Oh my god. <laughs> Fine. You know what? That's your that's your right is to pick on this movie. I wish you wouldn't because you may be able to pick up on the fact that we like it. Yes. Ooh. Real <laughs> struggle to the end there. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Uh, it, took, it took me a couple times to really absorb how much I liked it. But I know that one of the reasons I liked it right in the game is because I found it very fast. Like, I was fascinated by how odd... Like, I've watched a bunch of movies, a lot of movies from the 50s. It's just mm. so very different from virtually anything else I've seen from the time. Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons it's lodged in my brain forever. And I hope <laughs> yours too, but in a good way. Pick on it. Here we go, to lodge this movie into your brain. Uh, so Night of the Hunter is the only movie that Charles Lawton never directed. Charles Lawton being a famous actor himself. Mm-hmm. From uh, We just watched Witness for the Prosecution. He's great in that. Yep. He's in Spartacus. Uh, yeah, I feel like most people would know him as the, the senator in Spartacus. Yeah. And he's just, he's all around a good time on screen. And that translated to a good time directing. <laughs> Aw, how wholesome. Uh, written by James Agee, Charles Lawton, and based on the book of the same name by Davis Grubb, which is in turn based on the real serial killer Harry Powers. Oh shit, okay. A.K.A. the Lonely Hearts Killer, A.K.A. the West Virginia Bluebeard, A.K.A. the Butcher of Clarksburg. Oh my god, pick one thing. Before I forget, the main difference is this the actual serial killer was not a self-stylized priest. He was okay, just he a wasn't guy. A preacher. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of a preacher, we've got uh Harry Powell, who played by Robert Mitchum. Played to perfection. To perfection. Uh we've got Shelley Winters as Willa Harper, Lillian Gish as Rachel Cooper, Billy Chapin as John Harper, and Sally Jane Bruce as the adorable Pearl Harper. Pearl. Uh, I'm Pearl. My name's Pearl. <laughs> She's so cute. She's so cute. You really like kid actors, you know, could really go one way or the other, but yeah. like they're just so precious. And you can see Billy doing a little like he's acting. Yeah. But no, it's it's mostly it's mostly just adorable and wholesome and yeah. 
Because anytime it does feel like it's crossing that line, you're like, this is just cringy to watch this child do this. At least it's tempered with a like, but they're so cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're simply precious. Just adorable. So let's talk about the plot of this here movie. Let's do that. The titular knight. Oh, yeah, I guess there's, yeah, a specific night involved. Yep. Uh, so this takes place in the 1930s Depression-era West Virginia. We open on Reverend Harry Powell. Uh, he's a self-appointed preacher and actual serial killer who travels along the Ohio River justifying the women he murders, his switchblade knife, after marrying them for their money, as doing God's work. Because uh, as the plot goes on, he is just... Real misogynistic, but it's also the idea of sex makes him want to kill. Is his yes, know. he's got a mixed up brain yeah. to say the least. Like he, <laughs> he is not wired correctly. No, he's very like I would like to marry them and have sex with them and take their money. Like I want to rob them, but also the fa- it's almost like he's so bitter like about it. Like oh, they attracted me. Like how dare they, those harlots? Yeah, you know? but he doesn't want to have sex with them. Is the thing he never wants to like touch them. Or, yeah. No, that's that's true. That's true. He he yeah, he resents that. Yeah. That's a real it's a thing where like you can tell he's not playing about it when he starts talking about like uh men grabbing at their women on their wedding nights. He's very like, no, this yeah. is the worst thing this in the world. This is disgusting. And I'm here to yeah. cleanse the earth of it. Yeah. So, so that's cool. We so like that's, that. That's Robert Mitchum. Yes. <laughs> uh, after reaching a town sometime after his latest murder, Powell ends up being arrested for driving a stolen car and serves a 30-day sentence at Moundsville Penitentiary, a real penitentiary. Huh. Um, which I think it's funny. One, that it's only a 30-day sentence, and two... He definitely stole that car from someone he murdered, right? Well, that's the thing, right? Like, are they not... <laughs> no <I> guess... follow-ups? <laughs> Where'd you get the car? Someone else. Great. <laughs> See you in 30 days. I, is it? Is it more just like there was no way of, like, you couldn't... It's West Virginia during the Depression. Like, they don't have yeah. the infrastructure to, like... Maybe. wire news down down the river like I, everyone's I exhausted and hungry and yeah. the idea of following up on a task is impossible <laughs> like i've had those fun. moods that's i honestly wonder if yeah we are all there right now <laughs> i honestly wonder if they were just like oh a stolen car like you can't prove it's yours we get free labor out of you for 30 days no Fuck yeah it. that's that's as far as we'll you know i could see that yeah, yeah. i don't know meanwhile Ben Harper, who's a local man, played by Peter Graves, uh, who he... I just want to do the voice. I'm Peter Graves. <laughs> On biography. Uh, a local, he's a local man who has murdered two men in a bank robbery for ten thousands dollars. So he's a robberman. Yeah, I forgot to look up how much that would be today. I assume like one million dollars. I absurd. have never gotten this right when I've done it on the show, but I'm gonna do it again today. Ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars in nineteen thirty. Yeah. Okay. Maybe if you want to be exact, depression being like 33 is when it's the worst. I don't know. Eh, all right. Anyway, please yeah. go on. I will go on. With the police about to catch him, Harper makes his children, John and Pearl, promise to never reveal where the money is hidden, and he stuffs it in Pearl's dolly. So Powell gets arrested uh, because he killed some people. Or uh, Harper gets arrested. Harper. Well, they yes. all they all killed some people. The They're father, all in yeah. jail. <laughs> The father specifically, like, he, he's, you know, he careens into the yard, like, the police, you can hear yeah. the sirens in the distance, and he's like, oh, like, I have to provide for you kids, I, I robbed this bank to, to, like, get money for my family, where the hell do I put this so that they'll never find it? And you don't actually see where he puts it. That's true, yes. He just looks off camera where goes, Pearl is yeah, sitting. yeah, that'll his, do. Yeah. <laughs> and then they cut back, and the police are like, yeah. So, ten grand in 1930 is about $165,000 a day. So, okay. not nothing. For no, sure. if yeah. you are like barely able Starving? to feed yourself, yeah. that's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. First swear, there you go. Explicit tag, we did it. So Paolo and Harper wind up sharing a cell uh, and turns out Harper talks in his sleep oh. and Powell is attempting to learn the money's location by kind of goading it out of him while he's asleep. But Harper takes it to his grave. So all, wise to this. Yeah, all Powell knows is generally where... Harper's from, and that there's $10,000 somewhere around Somewhere there. around there, which yeah. just seems like the most long-shot thing. Like, you don't even know. It could be at the bottom of the river. Like, yeah. They, it could have been stolen from out from under him, I, you know? Yeah, but he's on a mission from God. He's, he's like... He's got to get that cash. He's got to get that cash, and he thinks that God will provide. So there you go. That's, yeah. He says a little prayer on exactly that topic, because, uh, yeah, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a religious man. Um, <laughs> so... 
Following Harper's execution, Powell is released and makes his way to Harper's hometown, where he charms the local townsfolk while wooing Harper's widow, Willa, who has been working for the worst couple in the world, Walter Spoon <laughs> and Icy Spoon. The, such a... Those are their names. Those are their I names. Swear to God. Yep. I gotta assume Icy is a, like, a cute nickname. Yeah. That's... Like Patrice, and you go with Icy. I don't Because you have a, yeah, an ice cream store. They run an ice cream parlor. Yep. In what feels very fast, Powell marries Willa and wins the town's trust. But I mean, he's a preacher. Yes. Everybody's losing their minds out of hunger, and he's coming in. He's very charismatic and... Yeah, he's very, like, smooth-talky, and and they're already, like, pretty religious, and so he comes in, and he's like, oh, you must be, you know, Willa Harper, like, I was with your your husband, I worked at the jail, is the the excuse he gives? That's right. And I I just had to quit, I couldn't see them, like, taking lives, I'm a a man of God, I couldn't couldn't stand for it. And so kind of, like, already has this in with Willa, and manipulates that a little bit. I guess that's, I remember watching the first time, and be like, oh, they're married, what the hell, like, just out of nowhere. It's real. Yeah. But it it does, like, when you pay attention to that and there's a bit of a, like, oh, here we have something in common. We have something to grow through. Yes. He knows about the kids because Ben told him about the kids. Yes. That's my priority. Yeah. yeah. It's very, like, oh, I'd, I'd love to, like, make sure the kids are safe and taken mm-hmm. care of. And, like, and the spoons are very obnoxious <laughs> about it, too, particularly Icy. She's like, you know, you can't just be single. You have to have a man around the house. It isn't right. And then she specifies, you have to have a man around the house, not for sex, because that's boring and yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's just talking to the entire town at a picnic and she's like you know when my husband climbs on top of me i just lie back and what is she like think of my canning that's what it is <laughs> and he just kind of like what the fuck and he and this just wanders like off between verses of bringing in the sheaves yeah. <laughs> she's extremely weird small towns man mm-hmm. having never lived in a small town this is what i assume all small towns are like <laughs> this isn't a south thing this is a the world this thing. is a right yeah universally um, small towns are like this yeah uh, and that's when Powell is smooth talking the town. That's where we get the very famous love and hate tattoos on the fingers speech. Yes, that it's the dumbest shit in so the dumb. world. I can't believe anyone. He has those <laughs> love and hate like tattooed on his knuckles, yeah. and he like interlocks his fingers and does this pantomime of like brother hate was was winning, and then here comes brother love. Yeah. Like uh, it's just like. Okay, and? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? And he's just like, and that's why love is the best. What are you talking about? This is a thing of, like, the first time I watched it, again, same thing of just like, oh, that's that's the whole That's your whole shtick, But watching it this time, it just really is, Robert Mitchum is very good in it. Yeah. You can see how, like, wide-eyed everybody watching is of just like, oh my god, what hand's gonna win? Oh my What's god! What's he gonna do Nick? Yeah, what hand's gonna win? As if he's not And then Love's win, and they charge. all go like, Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That was a close nod one. to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you people doing? Anyway, uh, so that's all it takes, apparently. But it's, it's like, TV evangelist energy. Yeah, that's what he's got. Yeah, it's very yeah. that, yeah. And it's very, like, you know, oh, bless you. Like, he's got this real, like you're the greatest person in the world when he's, like, talking to a specific person. Yeah. Like, you, you, I remember hearing it this described once as, like, charismatic people are able to, like, look at you and you're like, wow, I have their full attention. Yeah, and totally. And this is that thing of, like, oh, wow, he's, like, seeing into me. Yeah. And that, uh, Willa, Willa falls for it. Willa's into it. She does. Yep. Uh, but pretty much the only person who doesn't trust him is John, Billy Chapin, the little, little boy. Mm-hmm. And he accidentally reveals that he knows where the money's hidden uh, when Powell overhears him reminding Pearl of their promise never to talk about it. Yeah. So now we've got this battle of the minds. <laughs> Between a seven-year-old boy and Robert Mitchum. <laughs> He's met his match. <laughs> Willa overhears Powell threatening Pearl. Uh, I believe he says that he'll rip her arm out. And yep. she runs screaming, crying from the room. But uh, Willa is deluded enough that thinks that, like, oh, this is my fault. Powell is right. I will marry him and we'll have... Everything is my fault and I'll, I'll fix it. I'll absorb this. Yeah, He'll yeah. get me clean is kind of how she keeps calling it. That, yeah. like, these wouldn't be problems in the house if it weren't for my unclean house is kind of how I remember. Yeah, so this is very heavy. Like, she's being, you know, talked at by the very religious neighbors and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then she's just like, okay, the problem here is that I'm no, no longer married. Like, I'm, I'm a single woman. That's yeah. the problem here. I don't have control of my kids. They're fighting with this very nice man who just mm-hmm. wants to take care of me. Like, the, the, it, the it's like the reverse of, like, we'll have 
have a baby to save the marriage. Like, we'll get married. <laughs> to so save the baby. So, so, yeah, so the kids will be fine. <laughs> That's like, exactly what it is. Yeah, we'll just become a family unit yeah. and everything will be fine. I know that, like, knowing where the movie goes helped me to absorb this better this time around, too, because toward the end of our time with Willa, there's, like... Uh, reunion tent meeting where she goes on about like oh the reason this all happened is because I was constantly after my husband for for dresses dresses and and face paint and the unsaid thing is sex and sex yeah Uh, so this is all my fault and now I'm getting better thanks to Powell right yeah he has this Weird very like thing. you're you're wonderful, but you're also disgusting. Like he's very yeah. good at like negging in that yes. way. Yeah. Yeah, they get married and they have their honeymoon night, and she's all like a titter and like, ooh, this handsome man's going to take yeah. me to the bed. We've we've connected. And, yeah. And he's just like, no, you only have sex to have kids. Do you want any more kids? And she's like, no. It's like, yeah, we just gotta take That's care what of I these thought. two. Yeah. He's like, then close the window and get in bed. Like, say your fucking prayers. Yeah. You know? But literally, Shut not, up. A, not, no, I not mean, a thing yeah. yet. <laughs> How come you can't say that phrase without it being just like, I'm going to kill you? It's this movie's fault, exactly. I, I assume. Robert. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so she's got a real, like, I'll just fall in line so that, like, everyone will live happily ever yeah. after and never have sex or think about it again. It's the real, like, charming man to abuse her pipeline in, like, yeah. one scene flat. A to B. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as these things often, and Powell murders Willa af- soon after that. Uh, when she realizes that, because yeah. this has been going on for a little bit, where yeah. John has been saying, he's trying to make me tell, like, he thinks right. I know where the money is. And she's like, don't tell lies, John. Like, <laughs> he's here to help us. The preacher is straight up like, who do you think she's going to believe, you or me? Yeah. And John has to just be like, ah, <laughs> God damn it. And so finally Willa realizes like, oh, John has been telling the truth. He's here to get the money out from, from under us. Mm, yeah. And so she confronts him a little bit about it. She's like, you don't work for the prison, do you? Yeah. You never, like. But it's coupled with this thing of she says like. The money, the the lie that's being told is that the money's at the bottom of the river. And she's like, oh, the money's not at the bottom of the river, is it? Is it John not? knows where it is, doesn't yeah. he? She's like, but none of that matters because you're going to help me get clean. Like, she's still got this delusion yeah, in her mind. Yeah, she's very calm and, like, floaty and, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just one more thing we have to work through is kind of how she, <laughs> how it feels like she's approaching it. Yeah, marital problems. Yeah. How it happens to every couple. Sure, sure. <laughs> Where you find out the ten grand is not at the bottom of the river. That yeah. happened to us the other day. And speaking of the bottom of the river, that's where Willa goes. Yes. And uh, Powell tells everybody that she just like ran off in the night to go live a life of sin, mm-hmm. leaving the kids with him. That it was kind of like, oh, she was waiting for somebody to come along so that she could dump the kids on him. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's taking on this burden because he's such a good person. Yeah. He's gonna. He's gonna take care of the kids. Or yeah. Powell uh, then. Uh, proceeds to threaten John and Pearl with his knife. He's got his knife out. Yep. Just It's very to kill like them. back and forth like, "Oh, look at this wonderful dinner I prepared for Shit. like fried chicken and like dessert and and you know, it's the depression." <laughs> and he's like, "Do you, do you want to eat some?" "Okay, all you have to do is tell me where the money is." And when that doesn't work, he's like, "Okay, I'm starting to get angry." And he pulls out his knife yeah. and puts it on the table. And, what the fuck? Like just real escalation. Yeah. It is. You go right from, like, for some reason in my mind, I, they're both horrible, but, you know, he's killing widows. That's awful. Yeah. But when he takes the step to, like, I will also kill these children. I'm going like, to oh my boy. God, yeah. This, oh, you're insane. You're insane. Okay. quite mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, John reveals that it's hidden in the doll, but they escape Powell after dumping a bunch of shelves on his head. Yeah, John, like, tricks him at first, like, oh, it's, uh, it's downstairs or whatever, and, and basically tries to lock him in the, yeah. in the cellar. And the chase is on. Yeah. This is now, we're in the titular night of sure, the hunter, yes. yeah. Um, <laughs> They're being hunted now. They try to, like, go to the only adult that they know, who's a, they call Uncle Bertie, who's discovered Willow's body underwater and thinks that everyone would blame it on him, so he's drunk as a skunk. Yeah, because he's like, you know, he lives by himself, he lives out by the river, like, yeah. he takes care of boats, and they're like, oh, they're gonna think it was me, I'm gonna go to jail, what what can I do, what's going on, those poor kids, like, yeah. just drinks himself into a stupor, and so and, he's on the floor yeah. when they get there. So that's no good. So the children use their father's boat to flee down the river, and we'll talk lots about the riverboat stuff toward the end, it's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um... The river eventually takes them to Rachel Cooper, who's a tough older woman who is looking after stray children. This is a thing that happened in the Depression. Kids, yes. Parents leaving their kids because they couldn't 
afford to feed them. Yep. yep. It was them or, them or us, and they can't get jobs, I guess. I wonder what would be worse, to be sold to someone or to just be abandoned. Yeah. I feel like both happened. Absolutely but, both happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've skipped over this. Rachel Cooper we saw outlined amongst the stars at the beginning, reading to a bunch of disembodied children, yeah, which is just... there's a real, like prelude yeah. to the movie where it's her doing a bedtime story or whatever so odd i love it okay. um uh, uh tr- has tracked them down uh, he's chasing them through the night there's this like yeah. implacable uh billy even says at some point don't he ever sleep like yeah very just... terminator energy yeah, yeah absolutely yeah powell tracks them down finds them via one of rachel's stray kids who's like a 16 year old who's like out there and flirty yeah robert mitchum's being trying to talk to people at the ice cream parlor or whatever and so she gives him up but cooper sees through the deceptions and runs him off the property with a gun which is great (laughs) pal comes back after dark and they have another all-night standoff so maybe this is the night of the hunter (laughs) you can make the argument Mm. there there are a couple yeah your favorite this movie should be called the knights of the hunter there you go i got a note for you charles lawton all back out of your grave. They have an all-night standoff where Powell is just like they have literally just like outside of a window facing each other. Yeah. But Powell gets in and Cooper is forced to shoot him. The police take him away because they, they know that he's killed Willa. John breaks down as he witnesses the arrest of Powell as a parallel to his father's arrest and reacts in much the same way. There's some Deep trauma going on with that kid now. Freaks out about it, yeah. yeah. They're like handcuffing, you know, boot on the neck and handcuffing him behind his back. And John's just screaming, no, stop, you're hurting him. <laughs> and uh, following Powell's sentencing at Moundsville uh, to be killed, um, with John as a witness, he John doesn't actually testify in the end, yeah. which is an interesting choice. Um Rachel takes him and the other children away as uh, a bereaved Icy leads a lynch mob to take Powell from the police station. And then uh, it's Christmas morning and the family has like, the found family has like a nice Christmas day. Yeah. That's the end. They exchange gifts and like John, you know, finally I think accepts his place in Mm. in, like the new household. Yeah. Yeah. It is very found family. It's Mm -hmm. very, very charming. So that's one of the reasons that we're doing, I meant to mention this up top, um, Night of the Hunter is genre-defying, if you want to use a buzzword, but it's... <laughs> I do not. Uh, so I won't use it. Uh, <laughs> instead, I'll say it's often classified as a noir, so yeah. we're rounding up noir member with this. It's a Christmas movie, so yeah, there you we're go. on the cusp there. But it's also like a horror movie. People call it a proto-slasher. People call it like yeah. a kid's adventure movie. People call it a like... <laughs> kids. Actually, that falls in line with how horrifying kids' adventure movies used yes. to be. So sure, yeah. There has to be mortal danger. Immense peril, yeah. Yes. <laughs> bodily harm has to come to someone yeah so it's this just like straddling a lot of genres it is but i I do think it takes it it starts as a noir and it moves into christmas movies so there you go it really the first time watching it christmas came around and i was like what the hell excuse you're not allowed to do that (laughs) get your christmas out of my thriller movie it's not christmas eve of the hunter come on (laughs) maybe it is it doesn't specify So, uh, yeah, I'm a big, huge fan of this movie. Yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do with Mitchum and the visuals of the whole thing. Totally. It's very, like you said, it just looks unlike any yeah. thing else I had seen to that point. And many things took, you know, took inspiration from it later yeah. on, for sure. But, yeah, it's just very, it's stylized, but not in a way that distracts. Yeah, like, it all feels very purposeful. There's nothing that feels yeah. like... Definitely. Yeah, it's like spiraled out of control or anything. Yeah, not doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. yeah. That there is some, and I know I watched it through the first time and you have that feeling of like there's something cohesive. Yeah. Cannot tell what it is. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This is why it took me a couple times to be like, oh, I get it. This is a very good movie. Ah, okay. Yeah. uh, I like that I'll jump into some of the history of it here, but the first thing I wanted to mention was that at like the first preview viewing for the executives before it Mm. went out the first response the first thing that was said about it it finished up and the executive turned around and looked at charles lott and just said way too arty and just left oh my god what (laughs) way too arty and like it's not 
that much, but it was considered no. to be. It was considered to be like, here's a thing that's marrying art house style with like a genre thriller twist. I guess, I mean, <laughs> that person, I don't know. That's pretty funny to me. <laughs> I I get the instinct to be like, oh, this is, there's a layer of, of metaphor here that people may not get. But yeah. you don't need that layer of metaphor yeah. to understand what's going on or to enjoy the plot. No. It's like, not ingrained in like how you view the movie. If you like interesting acting performances... <laughs> Come watch Robert Mitchum for yeah. 90 minutes. It's like a mildly pulse-pounding, you know, <laughs> ride down the river. Like, it's yeah. it's mild. It's, it's It has kids in it. It's but wild, like... it's mild. <laughs> and yes, I smiled. <laughs> You're going to start doing those taglines on movies. I think we should bring that back. Thrills, chills, spills. Yeah, I'll do it. But yeah, you ready for me to tell you something? Let's about... hear about it. Yeah. The, the impression I get from this movie is that there must be really interesting things that I don't know. Mm. So... Yeah, there's, like, <laughs> the edges of the movie are just like, yeah, something was done here. Something what is going on here. Yeah. yeah, so lay it on me. So just a little bit about Lawton, because he's a pretty interesting figure. Mm-hmm. He was an actor, but he was a stage guy primarily okay, and sure. directed a lot of stage plays. And he did speaking tours going around the oh. States, just reading books to people, okay. like, in huge halls that he would sell out. And he's a great his, voice. Yeah, he's got a, a very distinctive voice. Yes. And his, his like, business associate, Paul Gregory, uh, read the Davis Grubb book, and he's like, hey, let's do this movie. And Lawton <laughs> was like, yes, absolutely, I want to do it. He wanted to play the preacher at first, which I think is cute. Ah. And Paul Gregory very bluntly was like, we will never get financing because you're not a big enough name. Oh. So <laughs> you can just direct and write and do all those things. That's enough. And Lawton <laughs> took it like a champ. It's like, yes, you're right. Let's figure this out. Very responsible of him. So he approached his design with the movie, and this isn't where the movie starts, which is, I think, why it is so side-winding at first, is it's supposed to be, he calls it, it's a nightmare mother goose story. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Which you get that, when you get in the middle, you're like, oh yes, that makes sense. Yes. But it's all the setup to get there that feels like it's going to be a different movie to me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair to say. Is that why they have that very, like, that initial, you know, her head appears in the clouds and she's reading a book to the children? And that was, uh, uh, that was the last thing they ever shot. Okay. Because, because of exactly that, they were like, the, the right tone isn't struck off the beginning. Right. It doesn't feel like we're listening to a Mother Goose story. So let's throw Lillian Gish into outer space. (laughs) Where she belongs among the stars. (laughs) I do mean that. She's yes, great. <laughs> she is great. Um, so he, he, that was the intent of the movie, and he yeah. thought the best way to do that, um, like he recognized this book, the, the book is written in like Southern Gothic horror style, so nice. it's very lyrical and literative, not, okay. not a straightforward genre thing. Okay. So he wanted to find a way to evoke that somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of these things where, like, it's not necessarily a direct interpretation, but it is an interpretation of the way the book makes you feel well. Yeah, that's what he things. wanted to go for. Yeah, sure. And for that nice. reason, he like he worked with Davis Grubb all the time, and Grubb would like draw him sketches of like this is what I was picturing oh, about nice. the scene. And if you compare that to the finished product, it's pretty exact. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair. Yeah, which I think is very cool. So he envisioned this as like, oh, this is a different kind of horror movie than all of these other horror movies that exist. Which like I guess it's mostly monster movies up to that point. Yeah. <laughs> or or just noir or movies. Just- are kind of horrifying i guess yeah yeah Yeah. the idea that there's a murderer (laughs) i guess is the (laughs) worst we could do (laughs) uh so he was like yeah new visual style let's figure out how to do this people are too relaxed at the movies they sit back in their seats and eat popcorn i want to make them sit up straight again is the Uh, quote from him okay so he wanted to take the lyrical melodrama of the whole thing and that made him think about old silent movies so he was like oh we're gonna shoot this like a silent movie this that's how we're gonna do like the setups and and the editing and just the general style of the whole thing. So he was like, I'm going to the best version. I'm just going to watch D.W. Griffith movies for like a year and get <laughs> that right. in my brain. Um, who, uh, if you don't know, was a big silent movie pioneer. I don't yeah. think I've seen a movie of his, but he would be taught in all the schools, I assume. Yeah, like if you go to film school, you know who yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, so there's, lots of, there's a few like... The silent movie illusions range from very obvious to not so obvious. Like there's, uh, it's called an iris shot that zooms in on the kids where the oh yes yeah when they're hiding from him at first in the in the house before they yeah, yeah that little that little circle shot. But yeah. I didn't notice this until afterward. There's a lot of scenes. 
that are just like quick shots where they have like the edges are all blurred or like fuzzed out somewhat, oh. which is how some silent movies looked to force your focus onto a thing. Sure, sure. Uh, and a lot of the time it's done for a reaction shot so that the reaction shot can be super fast. You get the reaction really quickly because it's the only you thing that you're focused on. Yeah. And then away you go. Like there's a bunch of them with um, with, uh, I forget his name. Whatever his name. Billy, the child. The John. child boy, John. Yes. <laughs> the boy child. John the boy child. Uh, there's a bunch of them with him where it's fuzzy outline and, and oh, him, like okay. gawking real quick and then running into action. I had no idea. I didn't notice until I looked this up and saw some examples. I was like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess so. Uh, and the part of the way the sets are set up, the artifice of them is an allusion to that kind of. Okay. Where you're like, yeah, you're watching a movie. A movie. Yeah, this is a set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for the southern portion, he hired uh, James Agee, who is important to everything because he's one from Tennessee, sure. uh, lived through this era, so he oh, knew sure. exactly yeah. what he was writing, uh, or adapting, I guess. Uh, and two, James e- Agee worked with D.W. Griffith on a ton of stuff. Oh, shit. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, oh, the two things I want? Perfect. Oh, the perfect person. Uh, the only other thing he had done was African Queen, the John Huston movie. Mm. So... It's a good movie to have under your I belt. I knew I recognized that name from somewhere. Okay, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. Just on location, the hardest movie of all time to film. <laughs> Look up that one if you want some nightmare it's Hollywood stories. Hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe we should do an episode on that at some point. I would love to talk about how fucking drunk they all were all the time because they could not, <laughs> if you drank the water, you'd get sick, so you had to drink whiskey. Yeah. Mwah. Anyway. The recipe for destruction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but back <laughs> to today's you, James movie. Yes. yes. Bringing it all together. Uh, So, well, in the movie, Lawton's not officially credited with writing. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone thought for the longest time that A.G.'s script didn't work and Lawton wrote the whole thing on his own. Yeah. Is not true. Uh, A.G. wrote a screenplay that was 300 pages long, which a screenplay is usually 80. So. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking like a page goes by one second or no, something, you know. It's usually like a page for 30 seconds to a minute. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it too big. Yes, too much. So all of the movie is all of AG's ideas. Lawton just said he edited it. That's all he did. Okay. So good work on both accounts. Yeah. Um, and uh, AG loved working with him. He wanted Charles Lawton. It wanted, he wanted it to be screenplay by... Charles Lawton and James Agee. That's what Agee wanted. There's like oh. letters saying that. And Lawton was like, no, everyone's going to think I'm being like this pretentious douche who <laughs> is like, I'm the writer, the director. And, and I'm producer. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So he said no. And the I love this. The the um, compromise they came to, they were like, well, the reason this is working so well is because Davis Grubb's book is so good. So let's give him like the first credit. So his is the first writing name that appears on screen because okay. that's what James Agee and Charles Lawton wanted. It's like, that's cute. I think that's so nice. wholesome. Because usually it's the opposite way around. You get screenplay. Where they, yeah, yeah, based on a book by. Yeah, which I think is very nice of them. But so a lot of his job was working with the production office to have it be a movie they could make. Because this is like during sure. production code being like, you said the word sex. You deserve to be executed. <laughs> I am going to have to ask you to leave the country. Yeah, in shame. Never come back. Yeah. <laughs> never say the word sex. Never imply the word sex to me again. <laughs> Get out of my office. So this, like, really dirty, very obviously about sex movie is the, like, 500th revision or whatever. Like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah so I they bet. started with some raw stuff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things, so in the book, uh, uh, Powell is, like, he is a clergyman. He is oh, a he preacher. Is. So they were like, uh, okay, we can't have an evil preacher on screen. <laughs> we'll make it just pretty obvious that he just thinks He's a right, preacher. right. He's never been ordained anywhere. Yeah, it would be amazing if he had stepped into a church. Yeah, like, okay. That kind right. of thing. Yeah. That was funny. Um, yeah. So, good good work on A.G. The, I wanted to talk about him a bunch because he often doesn't get his due when people talk mm. about Night of the Hunter. And part of the reason for that is he died before the movie was released. Oh, bummer. He had a heart attack six weeks before its premiere. So, ah, like, geez. right down the line, which is, bah, That's too bad. A shame. Um. And uh, just more about D.W. Griffith, Lillian Gish uh, was Cooper. Lawton had trouble filling that role. So he was just asking people and he went to like old silent movie stars and everyone was like, no, this movie's weird. I don't want to do it. And someone was like, no, the best person is Lillian Gish. And he's like, oh, who's that? And they're like, oh, the star of all these D.W. Griffith movies. And he was like, what? 
that you just watched for a year? But the you? obscure ones, not like the oh, big ones. She had okay. like small roles in the big ones. So he was like, yeah, that's a perfect fit. So he starts screening her movies. And I guess this is how this worked at the time. Someone told Lillian Gish, she's like, hey, there's this guy. He keeps like, asking to rent all your movies. <laughs> yeah. She was like, uh, she called him up like, what's your deal, what do you guy? Want? Yeah. And he's like, hey, you want to act in this movie of mine? She's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Amazing. It's just okay. cute. The last Griffith thing. You can tell he had a thing for Griffith going. Yeah. Uh, the Uncle Bertie that's in here, all of his scenes were the last, some of the last to be shot because oh. the original Uncle Bertie got fired. Okay. The original Uncle Bertie was a guy named Emmett Lynn, who was a D.W. Griffith alumni, but he pretty much only worked in silent movies and they realized when he was on set why. Because he talks like a stuttering cartoon. Oh, like, boy. Okay. Nothing even... I watched some of the footage of it, and, like, oh. Mitchum's accent is cartoonish, but in a in a way that fits. Sure. His accent is just, like, he, I, I am picturing him now, and I can only picture a cartoon. Like, he <laughs> sounds like an old prospector who saw a ghost at all times. <laughs> and this is his A game? Yeah. Okay. And they all kept, right. like... Every note Lawton gives is like, less, tone it down, way down. You're at 100, I need you at 1. Like, that kind of thing. But if that's his real voice, yeah. like, what are you supposed to do, yeah? So they fired him and replaced him with James Gleason, who did okay. a good job. Yeah. Yes, yeah, good job. It does feel like like Bertie never interacts with the town, and there it yeah. does have that, but it gives that effect of, like, oh, no one will believe him if he says he doesn't. He didn't murder Willa, because he's just isolated out on the edge of town. And he's one of the few that feels really grounded, like, yeah. Icy Spoon's a cartoon, Walter Spoon yes. is approaching cartoon, a little bit, yeah. Mitchum is, has cartoon qualities, like, there's all these, and then Bertie is just, like, a nice old man who's drunk. Yeah, <laughs> like, his wife died 25 years ago, and he drinks about it, and... Like, just, yeah, he, he likes to thing. have kids over for company because they are interested in what he does. And he's, yeah. actually, you know, they yeah. don't mind that he's super drunk. Yeah, <laughs> they don't yeah. really get it yet. Anyway. But the nice. big casting thing I want to talk about is Mitchum, uh, because he was vying super hard for the Powell part, as were a lot of actors, because it's just like, it just seems like it's a ton of fun to play for an yeah, actor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he, he like reached out to Lawton to be like, cast me, cast me. <laughs> so Lawton and, Powell and um, Mitchum are talking about Powell, and Lawton's describing it in a way to be like, oh, I'm going to make it seem really hard. Okay. So that, you know, see if this guy's got the guts to take on this role. Yeah. And Lawton... Powell or Mitchum is just completely silent listening to this long diatribe and he finishes off with like well if I had to describe him shortly he is just a diabolical little shit and Mitchum jumped up saluted and shouted present (laughs) Lawton was like that's cute I like that (laughs) so he liked that but also he wanted to cast Mitchum with a part because of his sexual persona which is not a thing in the book at all Okay. His whole, the like underlying sexiness of the preacher isn't mentioned. I think in the book he's supposed to be like a little goblin. Like he's, he's good. <laughs> a to, little murderer man. Yeah. Like yeah. he's a good talker, but everyone's just like, oh yeah, this unassuming little guy from Right. No one pays attention to or whatever. Whereas in this, he's the sexy guy who hates sex. <laughs> I'm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'll take your word for it, no, I guess. <laughs> Mitchum not doing it for you as I, much? He's a handsome man, but yeah. I just like, I guess, I guess it comes across with the, it's the personality thing, right? Mm. Of like, very outgoing and like, oh, mm. his values align with my values. Like, if, if you can kind of, I'm part of your life already. Like, yeah. that kind of thing. Very, like, welcoming and inviting. Sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> did Now, did he cast Robert Mitchum because, like, Mitchum is considered, like, a sex symbol outside yes. of this movie? Oh, That's okay. part of the reason. He was cute. He was a little cutie. He was cute. And I think yeah. that this was the time where, like... Actors were, like, big and smiley and just making yeah. just, like, big kissy faces on the carpet. And he was the guy that was the cynical. He had been in noirs and westerns, and he's always, right. like... He's got a little edge. He's a bit of a jerk, but you like it. Yeah. That kind of guy. <laughs> the original bad boy? Yes. Oh. He was a bad boy. He had just gotten... Not just, but pretty recently. He had been arrested for marijuana possession, <laughs> uh, which is usually a death sentence for an actor's career. That's the type of thing that, like... Sure. Or at the time. Y- yes, yeah. That's the type of thing where you have, like the studio police coming out to like, no, no, somebody planted it on him. And he's just like, no, I did it. And everyone's like, don't say that. Meanwhile, there are people just swooning. Like, oh my God, he got arrested. (gasps) So cool. He's in jail. Um, So he was officially, of the time, a burgeoning hottie. Nice. All right. And he had, yeah, okay. He had been in like, out of the past. That's the big one. He was the like, yeah. 
Um, the up and comer. Burgeoning hottie. It's been so long. Okay. <laughs> Davis Grubb hated the idea at first of having a sexy preacher. He, oh. want, he wanted someone like Charles Lawton to play. Uh, <laughs> a little goblin. A little goblin man who is just very good at talking. Yeah. Um, but uh, he Lawton convinced Davis Grubb by saying, like, the idea here is that he's selling God. Yeah. And, quote, if you want to sell God, you have to be sexy. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on with Lawton, but yep. all right. <laughs> yep. And okay, yeah, he right. Lawton had a little crush on Mitchum, so... Like. Oh, all right. Okay, well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. So, Interesting. Okay. Well, that's that's a whole other layer, but it, it's so... It does add this weird psychosexual layer. Yeah. And if without that, I'm not I'm not sure... Like, it would just be a straight-up kind of slasher thing, right? Yeah. Like, he's gonna get you. Instead of like, oh, this very charming person could be a murderer. Yeah, like really charming, very... You don't see, like, really basic hypocritic stuff out there. Like, uh, hypocritical yeah. character stuff. Yeah. Just like, either it's not there or it's... The attention is drawn immediately to it and nothing else, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this is just like, here's complex. just a layer of this fucked up guy. Yeah, his brain ain't right. <laughs> It is not. Yeah, it's very like deliberately insidious. Yeah, and like deliberately using his charm to get inside these people's lives and murder them. Yeah, it That's like wild. makes you kind of do a backstory in your mind. Like I'm just realizing this now. The way I have the preacher in my mind is like the reason he's fucked up is because he's all repressed sexuality. You grow up sure. in that, and women are throwing him, themselves at him constantly. Oh, so he's yes. got so this he like self-loathing. Them for that. And the, yeah, yeah, exactly. totally. Okay, I had no backstory for him at all. I was just like, yes, this is a very. If you're just like grew up mega religious, I guess it, it aligns, right? You grow up mega religious. You see any well, and you're taught like mm. if you desire sex or if you are sexual at all, you, you are bet. a bad person, like morally. Yeah, so you're right to to kill these women. For yeah, exactly. Ah. Like they're. You, you have the, you can resist. You're the strong one. So you have like the justification yes. to kill. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're doing them a favor. <laughs> <laughs> Still a thing. All right. <laughs> too okay. real. Too real. Too real. Uh, so let's talk about how he shot this little movie, shall we? Let's do. So like I keep saying, it's different than the huge. Uh, one of the ways it was very different is um, he had the editor and the composer just like hanging out on set at all times. Oh, nice. I like that. Which is great. The The composer was Walter Schumann, and it's just such a great score. I love it so much. Yeah, it's really good. Um, uh, and the other really weird aspect is usually, you know, you're shooting a movie, you shoot a scene, and then you say cut, or... You shoot a scene and it goes bad, and then you say cut, and then you say action, and you start the scene again. So then it's getting through. <laughs> <laughs> action? <laughs> but the way that Lawton did it is they would just put a fresh film canister in, and they w- he'd say action, and they would continue shooting until either they ran out of film or Lawton felt that they had the final shot in. Okay. So, like, no cuts between takes, no cuts to do resetups or anything like that. It was like, we shoot from this angle and only this angle, We'll set up like four cameras maybe and just go yeah. film. What that means is every shot that you see in this movie is a snippet of something as opposed to the okay. goal of the shot. Right. It wasn't start the shot, end the shot. It's just this was the best 15 seconds. Yeah. Of this out particular. Out of this reel. Which is like that's how editing works anyway, but it's just another way to go sure. about it. But the reason he wanted to do it that way is because that's how you do, that's how you rehearse plays. You... Oh, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I watched some of the footage, and for it, when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. And then you'll see him come out from behind the camera and be like, actually, Robert Mitchum, you do it like this and like this, and little boy, move your hand like this. No, he is sitting just off camera, just barking orders, and like, again, again, like, just, it's so fast and so stressful. Oh my god, why? Like, because that he wanted it to be a really um, organic, like, reflexive kind of reactions to things, okay. and also he wanted to heighten everyone's uh, emotional reactions yeah, to everything. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> just disembodied voice screaming, no, again. But it was just, it sounds so stressful because he's giving notes. Yeah. He's just going like, no, one more time. Billy, go like this. Okay, action. Okay, no, one more time. Your hand's too high. One step to the left. Action. Right, like, not and, letting them get in their heads about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, oh my God. <laughs> sounds so goddamn stressful. It's so annoying because like you can tell that this method does work sometimes like just depending yes. on your ensemble or whatever but it also just smacks of like I don't trust my actors to act you mm. know <laughs> which is so you were Robert Mitchum. But that's funny. all of the actors said it was like one of the best things that they've ever done because it made them <laughs> they weren't 
focused on their performance. They just were focused on reacting re- and yeah, yeah. Mo- living in the scene. If you want to feel very yeah uh, fancy about it, I do. Okay, all right. <laughs> I just wanted to mention my absolute favorite thing while they are talking about icy like leaning back and thinking about her, her canning, as yeah. we already discussed. In that scene, same thing, take after take, just like okay, no, uh, more disgusted. Go, no, no, you're too, you're too heightened. Bring it down. Go. Uh, (laughs) they do like a bit of a modification to set up and you can hear Charles Lawton sitting down he goes now remember all men are disgusting except Robert Mitchum go (laughs) and you can see her eyes do a little like yes that's correct oh that's what I needed to hear (laughs) that's amazing just remember all men are disgusting except Robert Mitchum (laughs) and he's not in the shot but I'm just picturing him like just yeah 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 Oh, um, Alright, I'll take it back. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was also a very efficient shoot, too, because I got footage very fast. I bet, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, I okay. had mentioned the river portions, the river and the... There's just lots of the sets shot very minimally in a cool yes, way. Yes, it feels like you are looking at a stage backdrop yeah. where there's clearly, like, two cardboard cutouts meant <laughs> to represent houses and then, like, a black velvet backdrop with lights on it for stars. Like, yeah. it's, it's very simple. Yeah. And it does have that, like, you're looking at a picture book quality. Mm-hmm. Like, you turn the page and, like, there's the boat floating down the river. Turn the page, there's the two houses, like, silhouetted against the stars or yeah. whatever. Like, it's very effective. It's weird to look at it first because it is... So simple. It's so and it evolves throughout the movie too. It's not a thing of like, yeah. oh, the entire movie is like this. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you have more to say on this, but like, it's the kids by themselves. Mm. There's no grown-ups around. They're just they're, you know, real like survival mode. So they're yeah. just seeing like it's night. There's houses. Yeah. You know? yeah, you're just seeing the shape, and you don't know the detail of it because yeah. either you're starving or yeah. you're exhausted or, or you, you just haven't encountered this that much in your life so your brain doesn't fill in the blanks yeah, yeah. and now they have this like every corner could be a, a danger yeah. like someone that you can't trust could be around it so it's it's all black and shadows and yeah yeah so but you're you are right like his intention was that the chill that kids only notice certain details of their surroundings and that most of mm. their details are on their eye level so if you, okay. like, look up in shots, the farther up you look, the less detail there is in things. And part <laughs> okay. of that could be, like, you're in a rural town. But, sure, like, sure, sure. There's no, like, yeah, yeah, power lines or whatever. But Like, one oh, of the places funny. that this is obvious is in the city scenes toward the end, where, like, there's yes, doorways yeah. and there's awnings and stuff, but there is nothing uh, yeah, above it's except... almost cartoonish. There's like a couple of blinking neon advertisements. Yeah, right? and they aren't attached to anything, and yeah. they're so general as to be meaningless. Yeah, there's just a collection of words. Like it says lipstick, um, cola, yeah. newspaper, like just <laughs> words. Just like they're not attached to any storefronts or buildings or anything. Yeah, and they wanted that. it to be like it's a it's like three things in one. It's it's this is kids don't know what advertisements are really doing anyway. They yeah, don't... they just see. Flashing, flashing lights. lights, so they're not connected to anything in their mind. Yeah. Two, the kids' minds are in chaos, so they're not yeah. properly absorbing the details. Yeah. Um, and three, he's trying to evoke German expressionist ways of shooting sets. Ah. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like very early sure. expressionist stuff he's trying to emulate on purpose. Okay. Um, there's a bunch of scenes where like there's white picket fences, but there's no buildings. It's just a fence. <laughs> yeah, um, the the barn yeah. along the river is the the really big one obviously and that's that's sure. the one that stands out most for obvious reasons that's supposed yeah, to be yeah they the, go and sleep yeah. in it for the night and it's their safe shelter and like yeah yeah lots of hay in it and mm-hmm. that's very interesting okay yeah the the city scene especially like i remember looking up and it just says lipstick just floating in the air there's no <laughs> there's no one selling lipstick nearby but the the street level stuff is there's like carts overflowing with like jewelry Food and, and, yeah, fruit yeah. and yeah and the magazine racks are full and yeah. the, at some point somebody pulls out a magazine rack and the magazine they're reading is called movies yeah. <laughs> or it just is, movie. Or yeah, something. it's like someone had to stock the pantry on a TV set with like cereal brand cereals. <laughs> but like that whole river sequence, that's like one of my favorite things in the mm. world. I love it so much. It's, it's so great. Very dreamy. Mm. It does. It fully enters like a different level of experience of, of that reality. Point. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, are they asleep? Are they dreaming? This whole thing. You can't. This this trip down the river. And yeah. apparently, it looked like realistic enough back then that like. The peop- Like, they got asked a bunch after the movie came out, like, oh, where did you shoot that on the Ohio River? Like, no, it's on a set. <laughs> yeah, we didn't put two kids on a boat and <laughs> just, then just... Good luck. Eh, Godspeed. 
Uh, on that boat trip, Pearl is singing, yeah. and it's pretty obviously a dubbed woman's <laughs> it's voice. It's a 20-year-old woman or whatever, yeah. They, the way that they shot that is they had her sing the song, so like, sure. yeah. And they have the original audio of it. The original audio, like, the reason that she got cast in this movie is that she had already won two national song competitions. That's right. She's a little, like, pageant kid. <laughs> and she has, like, a gorgeous voice. Aww, like That'd be so cute. The dubbed voice is otherworldly because it's disconnected from this little girl, but yeah. I honestly prefer her sung version, like Little Pearl's. Pearl's yeah. yeah. It's, she has, like, this deep smoky musky voice it's so weird that's just what you get when you grow up in the south that's just that's your birthright that comes to you automatically yeah, it's great i like it wow okay i have to i have to hunt that down and all of mitchum's singing that he does that's all him live that in I, the camera yeah. he's which got is, a good voice yeah, yeah. He in does camera. Have a good voice. yeah nice good shit uh, yeah. There's a lot of singing in this, very fairy tale-y, where they'll just stop yes. for a paragraph and it's just a, a bunch of song lyrics. Oh, you know, and his little leaning, his yeah. song that he sings, and just, it's so it's creepy. It's so creepy. It's very like, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I The the part that I like the most, though, is of the songs where you're like, okay, yes, this is a, you know, a stylized choice or whatever. But when he's singing it to, like, he's singing it as he rolls into town originally. Yeah. And um, then he's singing it as he kind of travels, as he's hunting them down yeah. the river. And then he sings it when he's trying to intimidate them, like sitting outside Rachel Cooper's house and they're all in there. Yeah. But she knows the counter melody. <laughs> and so she starts singing it with him and all of a sudden it's like really beautiful yeah. instead of fucking haunting and creepy <laughs> as shit for this one guy to be singing outside of. And it's just like, oh, it's such a defusing of his yeah. power. And that it's oh, Yeah, so it takes good. like he has this weird mysticism about him by the end of the movie yeah. to me that it just like fully like popping the balloon. Yes, yes, yeah. Just like no, I'm I'm gonna sing with you. We're gonna turn this into something nice. And he's like, well, that's I'm trying to intimidate you, please. <laughs> and then he comes. Oh man, the fucking when he gets in the house, mm-hmm. and you can't see him. It's just his disembodied voice. Yeah. And there's like a cat startles him. That feels yeah. like, like there's something there that I'm like there's layers of metaphor I'm not picking up on, but it's very good. Well, he's in the house, you know? He's he's disturbing the household and there's like, they're a unit, you know? Yeah. They're working together. The cat mm-hmm. is on guard. <laughs> then he gets shot and makes that insane noise. He sounds like an animal. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all I had to... There is... You could go on for hours and hours and hours and hours talking about the making, but I just wanted to <laughs> yeah, highlight yeah. some of those things because I think that those are particularly neat. Yeah. Um, very interesting movie. Very cool result. Yeah. Just very cool. So when the movie came out, between uh, the various churches and legions of decency all over the country, <laughs> the lack of any major advertising due to the executives not understanding what the movie was, sure. you had art house critics saying it was too simple and mainstream audiences saying it was too arty, yeah. and a total ban in Memphis for its depiction of the South, it, it, it <laughs> flopped so hard uh, that Lawton never wanted to direct again. He said it wasn't worth it. Oh, sure. He said that yeah. like yeah. he could he couldn't actually like take the strain of it. Yeah. Sure. And I mean if you if you make this great movie that like speaks to you and you produced it the way you wanted, you assembled the cast you wanted and like you put some creative so this, much creative work into it and then they're like i don't get it yeah like, yeah i guess i wouldn't want to put all that effort in it either like, like if you present your artistic vision to the world and your world says no yeah like oh okay oh cool. my god i'll just crawl into a hole yeah like Maybe. i'm worried enough that like my grocer doesn't like me that like <laughs> i wouldn't be able to take it doing that no it's yeah. bad <laughs> uh i i kind of in my brain i'm like projecting a little here but i feel like him and ag were like great friends by the end of this oh nice when when ag died um lawton the only quote from him on it was i don't know if i can go on i loved him Aww. which is just so like lawton is such a little sweetheart yeah and uh yeah i i think that like you have that death and then the movie comes out and everybody hates oh, your work with him yeah that's, that's emotionally harsh. charging a yeah. thing yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, you get burned real hard. Yeah. Not worth going back in for. So he just went back to acting and he got, he did witness for the prosecution, which I think he won an Oscar for or something. I love this. Like, eh, he just went back to acting the pants off of any, every <laughs> fucking role he ever got. Uh, but he died shortly after. He died in 1962. Mm. So he went to his grave thinking his movie was a failure. But in no. the 70s, TV stations started sprouting up that were looking for cheap 
or public domain programming to yep, get uh, in head time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Hunter was, it wasn't public domain, I don't think, but it was mega cheap. Cheap so enough, yeah. Every studio bought it. They started throwing it on all the time. Um, and the people that programmed it recognized it as a better than a public domain movie. So they didn't give it the like really crappy time slot. They like put it toward the front. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, people started watching it. So, like, the Coen brothers said they watched this movie when they were young. And they're like, oh, let's do that. Like, Night of the Hunter is oh. literally the movie that made them want to make movies. And there's countless of people that had the same experience. Oh, wow. Of, like, oh, wow, here's a thing that's so different. Maybe I could do something yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Which is, like, that's Oh, a, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Love that legacy for Latin. Oh, yeah, so me too. Yeah. I really see the, yeah, I can see the Coens looking at that and going cool uh, yes like, you know, no one fucking knows where this is going someone's gonna die now it's christmas yeah. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> movie magic yeah yep. well okay yeah i love that i love when there's like we've had what a hundred years of movies by now right like there's mm-hmm. there's enough time for them to sort of gain the second life and this yeah. appreciation and just like people Seeing it for what it is and, and for how good it is. I love that. Yeah. That's a that's a lovely story every time. <laughs> mm. So that's about all I got to say on this here movie for now. What what are your like final thoughts on all this mess? This wonderful mess. I'm glad that you said the thing about what did you call it? A monstrous mother goose or something? Yeah, nightmare mother goose. Nightmare story. mother goose, yeah. yes. That helps it click into place for me of like you're telling a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. That's why on first viewing, things felt not as connected as I wanted them to. Like yeah. there wasn't a through line somehow. Yeah. And that like disjointedness is is purposeful. Yeah. Yes. It's just things happening to these kids, these two siblings. Yeah. And when you look at fairy tales, they don't make a lick of sense. <laughs> and that's often what makes them memorable or what makes them, you know... I think that's the framing that I need to be like, yes. And that's what I picked up on last time is like, you're just watching someone tell the story of these two kids and yeah. what happens to them. And um, yeah, yeah. Watching them grow up very quickly and like yes. learn that adults cannot be trusted. and But that there is, there are also adults that can be trusted and like mm-hmm. you just have to, you know, watch out for each other. Yeah. Is, is such a, like that's, that's a beautiful moral of a story is mm-hmm. watch your back Appreciate what you have. Don't trust anyone over 30. Yeah, don't trust anyone over 30 is pretty much what we can... Yeah. I do really like the message of even accidentally, adults can't be trusted. Like, the one person who was, like, to John's face was like, if you ever are in trouble... Come to Uncle Bernie. Oh, and, and then he lets them down. And on the floor, and yeah. they have to, like, commandeer about it. Like, his father went to jail, and they murdered him. His mother abandoned them, was like, you're telling lies. Just all the adults fucking biff it so hard in the <laughs> So story. hard. God. His poor kids. Yeah, every, like, everything that is an authority of some kind just fucking collapses yeah. in front of them. Yeah, not set up to, like, believe kids or support kids. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> I enjoy that as a cautionary tale. Like, do you believe kids and support kids? Yeah. They're very, they're strong and wonderful and occasionally they're little shits. They abide. They abide. Yes. Yeah. Cooper's message at the end. Yeah. Which I I meant to mention when I was talking about the Coen bros, the, the dude abides is per, is a purposeful quotation of of this movie. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's great. It's, she's like doing a Christmas speech at the end, like, bless the little children. They're so strong. They go through so much, but they abide. Yeah. It's a hard world for little things. It's such a nice. That's the, that's the line, right? Yep. (laughs) What if we put a guy in a bathrobe? (laughs) And then he says it. That's the same, right? That's movies, right? (laughs) I love that. So that's, that's my takeaway. Love it. Uh, uh, well, I like I was saying, I love this movie so much. It's like all the visual stuff is so great to me, and how it transforms what's a what is a grounded movie into a mystical fairy tale <laughs> journey. But I like that it's also still kind of like a horror. Like it very much. So. If this was twenty years later, it would be a slasher movie. You know? Yeah, like, like he'd a, come out of nowhere and cut you. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like li- literally with a knife. He's, he's yep. the the OG he's knife guy. <laughs> I just, I really do love the idea that like when they get in the river, it transforms from like here is a domestic drama kind of thing, and it transforms into 
Mitchum is just the embodiment of evil chasing yes, them. Yes, he's literally riding a white horse yeah. that he steals. Yeah. Uh, Good shit. Yep. And there's a but there's like some sins of the fathery type stuff in there, but it's out of desperation. True. More than. Yeah, like, inherited inherited problems. Yeah. 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 You true. can't get away from them. Uh, I can, unless you go downriver and meet Lillian Gish, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's your only hope. Yeah. Uh, so now it is time for us to uh, program Night of the Hunter with a double bill of some kind with a marquee title, if we feel like it. Um, <laughs> why don't you take us away? Okay. <laughs> Here I go. I do have a marquee title this this week, actually. Mm-hmm. Think. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna keep on... I'm going to draw out the, the horror themes a little more and go with this feeling of like the adults cannot be trusted Mm. no one is going to believe you you have to deal with your shit on your own whatever whatever (laughs) um and i'm going to go with definitely a trashy (laughs) alternative on that theme which is i guess this kind of counts um (laughs) the mini it's technically a mini series but like the the stephen king's it 1998 mini series so it and how there's this group of kids that uh, have encountered something clearly evil, <laughs> obviously evil, threatening, terrifying, like sinister to them in a very deliberate way. Yeah. The point is to induce fear, mm. right? And and he feeds off of like this fear and that there's a actual sustenance coming from it in the like weird universe clown i don't know what it's space spider yeah space spider clown it's it feeds off fear but this you know the preacher does feed off fear in a way because it Mm. it helps him to feel powerful and he does get money out of it yeah that yeah that power is what he uses for yeah Yeah. yeah so they're both the same in that way they're both these figures that like i think we've all agreed originated as things that are supposed to be calming and and soothing and are no longer the case i don't think anyone really has a good association of like maybe you were lucky and you got a nice priest growing up i don't know oh i thought you say clown <laughs> maybe your household clown was nice <laughs> and not a murderer your neighborhood clown yeah yeah, Community yeah. Clown. and these kids are going through this shit of like it's no one will believe us Yes, these things seem bananas because they are, and that's why we're we're telling you about them. They're like, Mm. stop lying, get out of (laughs) here. Yeah, I'm going with that. And they they do, I mean, I know that the, I don't know much about the book, I haven't read it, but the miniseries kind of botched the ending oh okay. when they go back as adults right like i or, don't or remember don't. the ending at all really yeah. anyway it's very like ah oh, we stabbed the space spider or something <laughs> i don't even know um <laughs> but what was i saying oh yes the the kids have to deal with that on their own and they have to grow up and like take charge of their fears and, and support each other. That's kind of the way that John and Pearl get through it is like supporting each other and finding, finding their own family. You know, they have their little losers club in it and they're, (laughs) they've got like their found family and and so do John and Pearl. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mine. And I'm going to call it trust the kids. <laughs> I also have a name for mine. Oh, so look at us. We both did it this week. Aww. We, um, we felt the night of the hunter deserved it. We did. Yes. Uh, so there's like a part of the reason I love night of the hunter. Like I said, it's just visually so cool. And there's so many different directions it could go in so many different things you pick up on it, but I'm going basic ass. Okay. And I am taking the idea of, Oh, here's this, Here's grounded life, and then this, like, just unstoppable evil arrives and just destroys your life, pushes through everything. Not for anything you did, but just because you happen to have certain family associations. Okay. And that's the only reason why. So, like, you can't reason with it. You can't stop it. You just have to eventually find a way to confront it. Okay. And you can't rely on any authorities. Those will fail you. Demonstrably so. You try, it fails. So, okay. of course, I'm going to pair this with 1984's The Terminator. Yay! <laughs> Good. James Cameron and his fuck coughs energy. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh, that's uh, wonderful. Yes, that's totally the energy of just, like, what is possibly even happening right I, now? I know it's just, like, act structure, but both of these lend this thing toward the end of the, like, or within mm. the second act or whatever, where... Oh, we now understand 
the thread is out in the open, kind of. Yes. It's come from behind its behind its curtain where everything seems normal and fine and we get everything and then like the veil is lifted and we have a future robot we have evil incarnate in robert mitchum coming after us um that it turns from this grounded thing into like oh here's a supernatural chase like what (laughs) yeah kind of actually yeah Hmm. like you could rest a little bit but he's gonna be he's gonna be coming after you yeah and it's like it's a thing that you can conceptually understand but there's like you have no frame of reference for it. Yeah, yeah. They just, yeah, this thing that's just gliding through the society and nobody else believes you, understands your problem with it, Yeah, will help you. So you are truly on your own and you just got to figure it all out. And there's just bizarre sex issues in both of them. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Some really uncomfortable, like, father transference. Yep. Weird shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plus you got the nice... Uh, a uh, parallel between Cameron's always doing crazy visual stuff. Sure, not, yeah. Not as much in Terminator because it's a small movie, but I just like that. Yeah. They wanted, both wanted to do neat visual things. That's neat. They like to, to do this, you know, through through action or through direction. Like, create the feeling. Yeah. You, know, you, don't, yeah. Have to, you don't have to represent the thing on screen perfectly. It's the just... feeling is more important than the reality of the moment. Yeah. 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 So nice. I'm going to name this after a story by James Agee, which is Death in the Family. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yours rules a lot harder than I mine. I <laughs> also have a secondary title. Uh, so Death, no, here we go. Death in the Family, mm. colon. colon. Oh, he's coming. <laughs> oh, Lord. He coming. <laughs> oh, if I could do the Robert Mitchum voice, that's where I would do it. Yeah, we were practicing beforehand and, and it's no, not good. We were not practicing not. because we were not improving. <laughs> Uh, oh, good, good stuff. stuff. Thank you, AG. Thank you. Thank you. No, oh, oh. awkward. Awkward. I, oh, no. I mean, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but speaking of goodbye, we're, let's uh, wrap this thing up. <laughs> That's me ending the episode. No, I like that a lot. That's total Terminator energy. If Terminator was for Terminator. 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 <laughs> Um, if Terminator was for kids, that you'd get yep. Night of the Hunter. Wait, yeah. Terminator's not for kids? Oh, honey. I know <laughs> Another that you had one a lot I of saw tragic experiences. <laughs> yeah. You just gotta stay in the room when all your older siblings are watching movies. That one was just a case of the TV I was flicking through and... Saw a hey, cool Terminator. Robot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Oh, Time traveling robot. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, uh, the inside of a man's arm. All right. Oh, boy. Uh, so yeah, as usual, I think we recommend all these movies. That's... I don't necessarily uh, necessarily recommend the the It miniseries oh, yeah. only because it's so it's so grounded in the '90s that it's really really hard. The first part maybe. That's something I like about all three of our movies is there is no way you could mistake it for taking place at another time. Yes, <laughs> that's so true. Yes, yeah. All right. In that way, I recommend it as a little time capsule <laughs> or what not to do. Yep. Cool. Yep, yep. Uh, good stuff. Uh, look us up. We're out there on social media at GartbagePod, G-A-R-T-B-A-G-E pod, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Aaron, where can the people find you? Uh, if they would like to, I'm on Twitter at Macklebase, M-A-C-L-E-B-A-S-S. Uh, lots of animal photos to cleanse cleanse the knife-wielding maniac from your your vibes. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can find me at DickRNavis, D-I-C-K-R Navis. Uh, and uh, please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice to help more people find the shoe, as we would like to tell more people how much we like Night of the Hunter, specifically. (laughs) Nick especially would like this. (laughs) I'm going to yell at you about it, yeah. Uh, And I hope you will join us next time for another pile of garbage. Thanks, y'all.